Welcome to this week's Manor House message. We are grateful you are listening with us today. It is our prayer that you will receive a fresh word from God and find encouragement for every season of your journey. Let's listen in. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, Manor House. And uh, congratulations to all of you who successfully moved your clocks forward one hour last night. That's great. Uh, in a, shortly, we're going to have some people probably coming in who didn't. And uh, when you see them, we'll just kind of go. Because we know. <laughs> uh, this morning, we're going to talk about despair. And now don't nudge your spouse and say, I wish we didn't change our clocks forward an hour. <laughs> despair. But to give you a, a foundation for what I'd like to share this morning, uh, there's a couple of scriptures I'd like to point to in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. Solomon, one of the wisest men in the world, says this. He says, to everything there is a season. There's a time for every purpose under heaven. And Paul, the apostle, one of the greatest apostles in the, word, in the Bible, says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. It says, uh, but concerning the times and the seasons, concerning the times and the seasons, you have no need that I should write to you. Well, I would kind of like to know times and seasons, times and seasons. Solomon talks about it. Paul talks about it. These are two different words. You see, the word time is the word chronos, which is, which is talking about like a calendar. It's a, the, simply the uh, order of events and activities that occur uh, in, in its order of occurrence. And, but the word seasons there in, in Thessalonians is the Greek word kairos, which is uh, appointed. They are in, it's an indefinite time. It, they're occasions. They are for a while moments. And uh, that there was, uh, John Wesley gave a quote here, and he says, uh, the season is a certain time appointed by God um, for its being and continuance, and, and which no human wit or providence can alter. Now, we understand seasons uh, normally with regard to the, the uh, different uh, uh, patterns during the year, the divisions of the year. We have spring, we have summer, we have fall, we have winter, and and yet, each one of these seasons have some real distinctions. They, they, they have unique wind and temperature patterns and precipitation, uh, different daylight hours, and, and each season has a different impact on vegetation growth. There's, there's, there's planting, there's a cultivating, there's harvesting, there's, there's pruning for preparing for the future. Each season has different colors. We're in a beautiful season right now, the pinks and the whites blossoming, and, but then later on we see the colors of red and orange and yellow and closing seasons, but there are seasons. Well, when I talk about life seasons, what, what is a life season then? As I was thinking about these scriptures, that there are, there are four a while moments that occur in our life. Well, a life season is a period of time in our journey that's marked by different characteristics, different conditions, different circumstances, different emphases and activities 
that, that you can, they have a distinguishing feature about them. And uh, as I was reading about Jacob in the Bible in Genesis, there's more chapters written about Jacob in Genesis than any other person in Genesis. More than Adam, more than Noah, more than Abraham, more than Isaac, more than Joseph. And as I began to read about all the things about Jacob, he was quite a character. I mean, he, unders, he had ups and downs, and it was chaotic, erratic, and impulsive. And I, I, I kind of like this guy. I could relate to him. And as I began to look at his life, I saw seven different life seasons in Jacob's life, and I realized these are seven life seasons in my life. And I heard God whisper, well, they're in Jacob's life, and they're in your life, and they're actually in everyone's life, so start writing a book about it. And so I did. I wrote a book, Perpetual, The Secret to Finding God in Your Seven Life Seasons. And these seven life seasons, I break them down into calling seasons and character seasons. Your calling seasons are the seasons of preparation and productivity and transition and impartation. Those are seasons where, where God is cultivating in you his purpose for your life journey. And character seasons, fam, uh, despair and famine and uh, uh, refreshing are, are seasons where God is working on your internal nature. And so as we take a look at this and we go, well, what are the purpose of these life seasons? Why, why do we have life seasons? Well, God uses life seasons to fashion us into the splendor of his likeness. He, 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 he cultivates us through specific time and space conditions and, and uh, um, circumstances and activities that, that as we realize, oh, life is not a destination. Life is a journey, it's a process. And so God has taken us through these various processes that, to be able to allow us to achieve our life purpose. It's a majestic work. It's an amazing work. It's, it's, you know, some of us will have similar aspects of life seasons, but none of us have identical aspects of life seasons. And his, his masterful working in this is it's just majestic, even when you think about snowflakes. Now, scientists estimate that the, the chances of two snowflakes being exactly alike are about one in one million trillion. Now, that's a one with 18 zeros following it. And scientists also think that there are probably one trillion, trillion, trillion different types of snowflakes. That's a one with 36 zeros following it. So when you see somebody in the wintertime with snow falling with a magnifying glass, that's a scientist. Uh, no, you're not the same. No, you're not the same. Now, think about that, how incredibly uh, distinct God work with snowflakes. We're not snowflakes. We're better than snowflakes. How much more God actually designs the intricacies of our life and he uses life seasons to cultivate his majestic work in us. Life seasons are exquisite. There's delicacies. And first of all, God, you realize God created you. God created you. You were not a mistake. You are not incidental into the assembly of humanity. You were born for a reason. And your unique life seasons cultivate you for your unique life purpose. God is not chaotic. He's not erratic. He's not vague nor indifferent with regard to the details of your life. 
God is interested in you. He directs the steps of the godly. It says he delights in every detail of your life. We do not experience even one time and space condition, one circumstance or one activity that is outside of his jurisdiction. God and God alone oversees everything in the universe. We are uniquely, look at how you uniquely designed the transition of light to darkness and darkness back to light. How he purposefully fashioned the mystical transformation of a, of a caterpillar into a butterfly. He appoints particular times to particular things and, and he does it so meticulously and with excellence. That's the God that we serve. Every one of us is either in going in or coming out of a life season. That's all of us. We're either in a life season, we're going into a life season, or we're coming out of a life season. But without understanding life seasons, everything can, we can lose perspective of where we are, where we've come from, and where we're going. It gets a little blurry. But it's also very interesting about life seasons. It's easy to think that the life season that you are in right now is your entire life. The good news is it's not. Your life season that you're in right now is not your entire life. No one is exempt from going into a difficult life season, and no one is disqualified from going into a, an enjoyable life season. Each and every life season has a definite start and a definite stop to it. Oh, the great seasons, my sweet seasons, I, I, I wish they would just la have lasted forever. The difficult seasons, I wish would have never come. <laughs> I had no uh, comprehension of how fantastic the great seasons were. And I couldn't even hardly endure the stressful, painful ones. And as hard as I tried, I couldn't stop enjoyable seasons from leaving, and I couldn't prevent the difficult seasons from arriving. But understanding life seasons brings a certainty to your life purpose. It'll bring clarity to your chaos. God has an unfailing love for you. He doesn't just have love for you. He has an unfailing love for you. We didn't earn his love. We didn't deserve his love. He loves us before we took our first breath, and he will love us when we take our final breath. You are not a mistake by him, nor a regret to him. He has an unfailing love for you. And the secret, the secret with regard to these exquisite delicacies of life seasons is the secret is for our fulfillment in our life purpose is to find God in every life season. So we're gonna talk about the season of despair. The season of despair, what is the season of despair? The season of despair is a time of intense agonizing affliction that comes from external circumstances when, when it seems like your spirit is gonna be completely detached from hope. Series of events that just come crashing in like a tidal wave and it just seems to obliterate the ordinariness of life and all of a sudden you're in a sea of anguish and anxiety. It's a grueling life season. 
Hundreds of you, maybe thousands, are even in this life season right now. I've been blessed in my life to be able to grow up in a home with a mother and father who loved God and are still, they served, in, uh, they just celebrated their 70th anniversary in December. And, and uh, I've just been so blessed. I've, I've never uh, in, in recall experiencing the heartache of seeing parents get divorced or to be able to be profiled because of my, my, my race, skin, and to have things that are just common in life. I, I, I just consider myself very blessed. But even in that blessing, I was not exempt from the season of despair. Just to explain a little bit, I, I had a two-year period of despair in my life that, be, that began in January of 2014. Our son, our youngest son, was a football stud in high school, really had plans to, to play football, and his, his neck is bigger than my whole body, and he was a stud defensive tackle, and, but he encountered several injuries, and after the season was over in January, he was going up the stairs, and he tripped and fell, and, and, and he was like knocked out, and he, when he came to, we, we realized there's something, there's something wrong. There's something not right, so my wife Donna had to take him in to, to the doctor, and referred to a neurologist and began to conduct tests and we discovered that our, our son had what was called repetitive head injury syndrome, multiple concussions, and it had come to such a place where he had lost his long-term memory and it impaired his vision, and impaired his speech, and impaired his balance. And We began a journey about a year, year and a half of being able to have weekly uh, uh, neurological therapy sessions just to be able to get him back to a normal semblance. And, and it, that was in January we began that. And in March of that year, I get a phone call from my, my sister-in-law, my brother Rod. He says, there's something wrong with Rod. There's something wrong with Rod. And I lived across the street, so I ran over there and found Rod in such a state of confusion and didn't know what was going on, so we had to rush him to the hospital and they began to conduct tests. And after a couple of days, when the tests and being able to do biopsies, they informed us that he had grade four glioblastoma multiform. It was a brain cancer that was inoperable and he didn't have long to live. We worked together in CCLI for 22 years. We were joined at the heart. We had lost our sister in 1993 and we were the only siblings we had and we were close. But then we began a a desperate search to try to see radiation or therapy, uh, chemotherapy, and try to find out what we could do. And it was a month after this, we get a phone call from my father-in-law, Donna's dad, Jim Kirkpatrick, calls and tells us the doctor has just informed him he's been diagnosed with the final stages of pancreatic cancer, and he only has weeks to live. So we began a journey of going up to Canada to, to, to spend time with dad and, and at the same time trying to treat our brother, my brother Rod, and, and, and during this time, we're just back and forth and you feel the pain and the agony of, of those, those moments. And, and then in end of May, we're up in Canada and surrounding dad's bedside as he takes his final breath and he is ushered into the other side of eternity with the Lord. That summer, we continued with desperation trying to figure out how we help Rod, and we decided let's have him go down to California and, and do some treatments there, some alternate treatments. And so we'd be going down to California, and I watched as my, my bro, 
just deteriorates with this horrible disease and we're desperate, we're trying things and it's not working and we say, well, it's time to bring him home and then there was just a breach in relationship and family to keep him down there and so we just continue to go back down and to be able to try to do things and, and then in January of 2015, I get a phone call from Sandra Crouch, the twin of Andre Crouch. Andre Crouch is my closest friend in the music industry. We've been dear friends for 45 years, holidays together, vacation together, talking, walking, praying together. He went into cardiac arrest. He was on life support. So I had a, flew down there and walked into the room just moments after he passed away. And then in February, we get a call. During all this time where Donna's mom is deteriorating and we're going back and forth and she's in and out of the hospital and Finally, in February, we get a call from the doctor who says, your mom has hours to live and we can't even get up there to be with her. And she enters heaven. We're continuing to fight and then July of 2015, as uh, the family put a phone to Rod's ear, I told him I love him. And I was releasing him to heaven and, and at that moment, he goes to the other side of eternity. The day before we have a service here in this place, our dog dies. Two days after we have his service, Donna's sister calls and says she's been diagnosed with breast cancer. A couple months later, my closest friend growing up calls and tells me he's got cancer and only has a few months to live and he passes away in January of 2016. And you're in those moments, and you say, this season of despair, will it ever stop? The answer is yes. By the way, Donna's sister went through treatment. She's healed of her cancer. Our son Dryden is in Bible college, Portland Bible College. <laughs> Portland Bible College is the best Bible college in the world. He is acing his, his grades. I don't even know who he is. I mean, and, but, but in the midst of that, you realize the season of despair is a grueling season. It hurts. It really hurts. How do you articulate the unexpressible? How do you articulate the unimaginable? How do you articulate, articulate the unbearable pain and the horror that fills your life during this season? The season of despair afflicts and harasses your endurance. Everyone passes through things that makes them at times feel helpless. But there's a difference between being helpless and being hopeless. You see, when you're helpless, you feel like you are unable to do anything about the situation. But when you feel hopeless, you, you feel unwilling to even continue in a situation. And in the midst of that time when God is working something in you, the enemy is trying to do the opposite. He's trying to tell you, you have no hope and hope doesn't exist. The season of despair haunts you with the relentless and the caustic question of why. Why? Why did God allow this to happen? Why does God not do something about this? Why, why, why didn't God heal? Why? Why? And, and it's the absence of reason for these, 
these horrific events, they could sow seeds of anger in you towards God and to become bitter and to resent. And you say, God, you must not like me. You must, you must be punishing me. I don't even know if you're real. The season of despair, the season of despair breeds within you something that's far worse than losing your life. It can make you lose your reason for living. You see, it can bring such behavior disorders, fatigue, sleeplessness, depression, personality alteration, psychiatric disarray and relational chaos and mood uh, imbalances, physical deterioration. It so messes with you that if you leave it unintended or if you mishandle it, the consequences of the season of despair can prove to be fatal. The season of despair, well, how do you survive? The season of despair separates you from the very frames of reference that you help you navigate through life. All those things that are just normal fixed points to help you, they get lost. They get, it's like a big fog comes in and you have no way of knowing. There becomes like a spiritual vertigo that you don't know if you're up or down or right or left. David describes it this way in Psalm 55, verse 4 and 5. He says, he says, a horror has overwhelmed me. And that word horror is such a strong word. It, it means that, that it's a state of severe distress that's so great it is to create an involuntary shuddering of the body. The state of the season of despair. How do you survive? I think there are three things I, I learned during my season of despair I want to share with you this morning. The first one is that you must learn how to embrace the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. And we've said those words and yet, yet we go, I don't, I'm not sure what that means. And some people will say it very well intended, oh God is sovereign and I haven't got a clue. What does that mean? The word sovereign is a, it comes from two Latin words, superens regnum, which means above and over the highest kingdom. It's not just a high kingdom. It's not just the highest kingdom. It is over and above. To infinity and beyond does not reach it. The sovereignty of God is above and beyond everything I can think or imagine. I can't even fathom that in my own rationale. It's beyond my intelligence. The sovereignty of God is not me fitting God into my world. It is God placing me in his image so that I could dwell in his kingdom. My circumstance does not govern God's almightiness. My situation does not discredit his supremacy. It's not about my circumstance. I love what Jack Loman, would, uh, a, a, a dear pastor here, and he would always quote T.L.R. de Chardin, uh, a quote. He'd say, I'm not a human having a temporary spiritual experience. I am a spiritual being having a temporary human experience. You see, up to this point, I realized in my life, especially when we're young, we look to eternity from the eyes of the temporary. 
But the season of despair, when you understand the sovereignty of God, you look at the temporary from the eyes of eternity. It's a perspective of understanding our creativeness. The season of despair reveals the full extent of my citizenship and my identity in God's sovereignty. I had to ask myself a question. Am I an undocumented, illegal alien in the, citizen, in the kingdom of God? Am I not supposed to be in God's kingdom? Am, am I a, do I have an alien registration card that allows me to reside in the kingdom but I have no authority or voting? Or am I a citizen with rights in the kingdom of God. You see, the U.S. Pledge of Citizenship says this, and I, I was a Canadian and now I am an American. It says, I hereby declare an oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, states, or sovereignty of whom or which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen. I realized that the sovereignty of God and the season of despair reveals I'm in another kingdom. And my kingdom's citizenship, my eternal nature, and my destiny are completely and safely undisturbed by the circumstances. Whew. The second thing I think I had to learn was to activate the algorithm of trust. Proverbs 3, verse 5, a well-known scripture, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. That's a great quote. The season of despair will change great quotes into real quotes if you allow it. Now you take a look at this, this statement here. You see the word and. The word and is a conjunction. And what that means is that you're connecting two elements in a statement so that it can be complete. Well, the elements are trust in the Lord and your understanding. Those are the two elements. The word not is called a negative declarative. It means that the activation of the one requires the elimination of the other. So take a look at this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Now to explain this, I'm a Seahawk fan. That happens to be the kingdom team, by the way. I'm a Seahawk fan, I go Russell Wilson. Now I, I can't say that I'm a Seahawk fan and put on a San Francisco 49 jersey and cheer and hope that Russell Wilson throws uh, interceptions. That's not gonna happen. I am needing to understand the complete framework of the algorithm of trust. I have two choices, you have two choices. You can either trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding, or you can trust not in the Lord and lean on your understanding. It's your choice, but you can't do both. You must either cancel, eliminate your trust in the Lord, or you cancel and eliminate your understanding. Trust is not about the outcome, it's about the outlook. You see, God has already been to your future. And he knows what he has for you there, so he visits you here and equips you and takes you through a season of despair so that you can, when you get there, you can excel in your life purpose. The third thing is to exercise the weapon of thankfulness. 
You see, if allowed, the season of despair can obscure and obliterate and, and the truth of God. And, and, and thankfulness is a weapon that destroys the toxin of ingratitude. Ingratitude is a poison. It, it can make you think God is cruel and uncaring and unloving and vengeful. It, it makes you think that, well, then God it has it out for him. But, but no matter how horrible your season of despair is, ingratitude will make it worse. It's a destructive disease of your soul. And Romans 1, 21 and 23 tells us this, that those that didn't worship God and they weren't thankful, it says that their minds became dark and confused. But I'm also glad to understand that the weapon of thankfulness is not being grateful for the despair. It is being grateful in the despair. You see, if I had a friend come up to me and say, oh, Howard, I'm so glad you lost your job. and I'm so glad you had a car accident. I'm so thankful that, that, that you are in the hospital. And I'm so thankful you can't pay your bills. I would just Yoda him. To me, a friend, you are not. That's not friendship there. No, no, we're not going there. It's not being thankful for, it's being thankful in. Paul says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. Expressing your thankfulness in your despair positions and solidifies you in God's sovereignty through your despair. Then, what does God do in the season of despair? I think there are three things that God does. First of all, he creates in you the life walk of perseverance. God wants to develop in you the fortitude to grow in your life purpose and despite difficulties, despite failures and hardships and adversities and tragedies that we're facing. Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, I memorized as a kid. And I, I encourage everyone to memorize that passage. It starts this way. Finally, my brethren... Finally, at the end of everything, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And then in verse 13 it says, and having done all, stand. Persevere. In your trouble and in your stress. Am I supposed to pretend like it's not happening? No. David says, in my distress I call upon the Lord. It's the time when you have presence encounter with him. Lord, this is really hard right now. I, 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 I don't understand it, but I'm coming to you and I'm calling to you, help, Lord. I need you in this so that you, who working your purpose, that you will lead me through it. Second thing I believe God is working in us is to contend for the blessing. Contend for the blessing. You see, God wants to teach your hands how to fight. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. Jacob even experienced that in all of his chaotic and uh, uprisings and downfallings. In the midst of it, he's, he's battling God. He said, God, I'm not letting go until you bless me. Hold on and battle for your blessing. You see, in the season of despair, you face futility of trying to align your circumstance with his goodness and compassion. There's a big chasm, and, and it, you, you just can't figure it out, and you wonder if you're trusting us. Well, this, this just does not line up. But it's in that moment that you start saying, I choose 
not to let my circumstance define my identity. I choose not to let pain define my identity. I choose not to let fear define my identity. I choose not to let sickness define my identity. I choose not to let depression define my identity. I choose not to let crises define my identity. I choose not to let stress define my identity. I choose not to let tragedy define my identity. For in him I live and move and have my being. Because you remember this, calamity does not rescind purpose and despair is not the absence of his deliverance. You say, well, God, I want to I escape this. I want to get away from this. I, I, I don't want to be involved with this. And, and I, tried, I, I tried to avoid it. But listen, you can't go through, you can't go around what God wants you to go through. You cannot go around what God wants you to go through. But if God brings you to it, he will bring you through it. The third element is guarding the heart. He wants us to learn how to guard the heart. You can find him as Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Life gets cluttered. It distorts priorities. It loads baggage on you. You're encumbered in, in the midst of this despair. When God is working his purpose in you, the enemy of your soul is trying to diss you. To diss you. The prefix dis. You see, it's a Latin word that means to sever, to separate, to reverse. So what God is doing, the enemy's trying to reverse it. So he tries to dishearten you, which means he tries to shatter your heart for God. He tries to disconnect you. He tries to sever your relationship with God. He tries to discourage you. He tries to break your courage from God. And he tries to disappoint you. He tries to abolish your life purpose in God. He's dissing you, the enemy is. But God says, listen, I want you to guard your heart. And the thing that carried us through our season of despair was Psalms 27, verse 13 and 14. And there we see the five guard the heart ingredients. I would have despaired unless. I would have been detached from all hope unless. Number one, I had believed. I will be convinced that his compassion surpasses my crises. Number two, I will see. I will view the temporary from a position of eternity. Number three, be strong. I will rely on Christ as my strength. Christ is my rock. Christ is my shield. Number four, take courage. I will, I, will, I will fill my heart with his word. It is written until my battle cry becomes, it is revealed for breakthrough. And the fifth one, I will wait. I will affix my heart on confident hope in him during my season of despair. God uses your season of despair for your good. You see, he calls you the salt of the earth. We are to be the flavor of this world. Well, do you know how salt is made? With heat and fire. It's used to evaporate and to eliminate the impurities so you can have real flavor. The season of despair is God working him in your character. And we have a choice. We could surrender or could resign. There's a difference. You see, surrender is taking yourself out of the fight. 
resigned is taking the fight out of you. God doesn't want you to become just weak and wimpy. He wants you to surrender to him. Surrender. You may be in your season of despair right now. I want to encourage you, hold on. Hold on. Embrace the sovereignty of God. Hold on. You want to be able to contend for the blessing. You want to be able to allow him to do his workings in you. To believe, to see, to be strong, take courage, and to wait. And in a moment, the campus pastors are going to have a time of prayer with you. But I want to close with a prayer for you. That if this has touched your heart, the Lord will hear your cry. God, we thank you right now and in this moment there are those who are going through a season of despair. It's almost at the place we're going, I just don't know if I can continue. Right now, in that very place, you would come and whisper into their spirit your love and your care and your strength and your encouragement that we would stay the course. We will contend for the blessing. We will guard our heart. We will go on because you have delighted in making us in your image. We thank you for that now. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to another Manna House message. Our hope is that you find fresh bread for your journey each time you join us here. Until next time.